You may be seated. Before we hear God's word read and preached this evening, let us come before him and ask his blessing. Oh, that you would pour down, open the heavens and rain down upon us, Holy Spirit, that we may know the goodness of God and that we may know the peace which passes all understanding, which only can be received by the receiving of the gospel. So, Lord, make Jesus great. Help us to see Christ, even in this Old Testament passage this night, and form us and mold us and make us more like him. Because we pray in his name. Amen. Well, our sermon text is Jonah. And I told many of you that we were going to have a one-verse sermon. So our sermon text is verse 17. But in order to give us some context, I will read 1 verse 17 all the way through chapter 2. Hear now as I read God's holy and infallible word. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight." yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head and the roots of the mountains. At the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Amen. God's holy word, may he write it upon all of our hearts. Well, when, uh, when I was young, our family had a Volkswagen bug. 
1972 blue, light blue. You know what I'm talking about. Little motor in the back and of I think they think they call it a frunk now. You know the the trunk in the front. And it was indeed a very fun car to own. Um, we used to fit our whole family of four, sometimes five of us. We we brought a friend to drive down to the beach, and you know because that was mom's car. I remember on at least two occasions that bug running out of gas in our driveway. The problem was we lived in Pioneer Town, which is about five miles away from the nearest gas station. Or was it a problem? You see, from Pioneer Town into Yucca Valley was five miles downhill. So we were a kind of crazy family. What we did was we give that car a little push and we coasted all the way down the hill to the gas station. Now at the bottom of the hill, there is a stop sign. And thankfully, we didn't get caught running that stop sign. I guess if we did, we could just tell the police officer that we were out of gas. Well, you know, if you push a car and the car has no gas down a hill, what happens? It starts to gain momentum and it gains speed. It goes faster and faster as long as there is still a hill and you don't apply any pressure to the brakes. It's kind of the same when you begin to disregard God. And whether in your thoughts, or your words, or your actions. In the beginning, it's a little slow. Then, the farther you detour from God's word, the faster you head down the hill. That is, until you realize what's wrong, and then you apply the brakes. Rather, God himself breaks in and stops you completely in your tracks. Well, that's what happened to Jonah. Jonah was headed downhill, and he was going there fast. In his rebellion, Jonah was headed to Joppa, and he went down into the deepest part of the ship that was heading toward Tarshish, in the complete opposite direction from Nineveh where God had commanded him to go. And then as a result, God sends a wind and the waves and the mariners, those professional sailors, have no other choice but to hurl him into the sea. You know, they tried to dig in their oars and row to the shore they tried to do anything and everything to prevent having to throw Jonah off the boat. But the last resort was to listen to the Jonah, the prophet of God, and hurl him into the sea. And just as Jonah predicted, the sea calmed down for the sailors, and they are finally able to breathe a sign of relief 
While on the other hand, Jonah's life is in trouble, big trouble. He is in serious trouble in the deep water beneath the boat. Have you guys ever gone swimming in the ocean and drifted away from the shore? It's a little bit scary. And you really can be in serious trouble. I wonder if that is where the idiom, you are in deep waters, comes from. Anyways, at this point, Jonah is headed down into the sea, and then he will go down into the belly of the fish. For Jonah, he is going down, down, down. I think I've said that word many times already. His life is on a downward spiral, and it appears that there is no end or the worst end is in sight, all because of his anger toward the Ninevites and his fear of the Ninevites even having a chance of salvation. All because he disregarded, worse yet, openly disobeyed God's word. He rebelled to the point that he was about to die. Well, you know, if you continue in your rebellion, the Lord will just give you into that rebellion. But our Heavenly Father will not forget his own children. The Lord God had not forgotten Jonah, his prophet, the one whom he had sovereignly called. And he has not forgotten the Ninevites, that among them there are indeed his precious sheep waiting to hear the word and be brought to repentance and faith. He will call his sheep and they will listen. What we see here is what J.I. Packer wrote about. We see something of evangelism and the sovereignty of God. You see, the hero of the story is always God. God is sovereign. God is in complete control. God is gracious and merciful. And he will do whatever it takes, whatever it takes to get his people to do his will and for his sheep to hear his call and get found. Now, as a reminder, as I reminded each time I have preached on Jonah so far, and I will probably say it again, we cannot focus on the fish. The fish is important as a means God uses to accomplish his end. But the fish is not the main character. God himself is. And so that is where we need to put our focus. On the almighty triune God. 
in this verse, verse 17, and we read, and the Lord did something. And that is where the author wants us to put our focus. The point of this verse, which is actually chapter 2, verse 1 in the Hebrew Bible, is that God, in his surprising grace, rescues Jonah. Jonah was going down, but God provided a way to bring him up. God graciously and surprisingly rescues his string children. God, in his grace and mercy, stops you in your downhill speed race and turns you back toward himself. Because that is who he is. God is God. He is sovereign, and he accomplishes all that he wills to do. And because God is the God of providence, he arranges all the details for a way out. Always at the right place, always at the right time. Even using the right method and means, his way. Verse 17 starts off in the Lord. Between verse 16, where the mariners fear the Lord with a great fear and offer sacrifices to him and take vows, and verse 17, there appears to be a pause of silence. The author appears to want what just happened to Jonah to sink in. I mean, after all, Jonah was cast overboard, off the boat, into that raging, roaring sea below. And he is now sinking down, down, down. You see, the original readers and you, the hearers, are supposed to think on the reality of death and punishment. Death is indeed a serious thing. Nobody wants to talk about death, do they? Because it's so serious. And the length of the pause is just long enough, just long enough for you to think that Jonah was surely dead at this time, that he really was committed to a sea burial. He says, and the Lord, you know, it could say now the Lord or meanwhile the Lord as the author brings the focus back to God. You know, now the sea is still. The prophet is still sinking. You know, he's probably dead in the eyes of the sailors and the original readers. But God is up to something. Isn't that what it's like? Things are all going wrong in your mind. They are just not the way that they should be. But all along, 
God was up to something. He is always unceasingly working out his sovereign plan. Even when you are not conscious of it. Because he is sovereign. Because he is providentially working in your life. Even when you can't see it or can't understand what is going on. He had appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. The word for a point here can also mean prepare or arrange for. Or I like the way that the NASB renders that word here. The Lord designated a great fish to swallow Jonah. God had designated, he prepared and appointed a big fish to come right where he was in that precise place in the Mediterranean Sea, a huge body of water, the right time to swallow Jonah. God is in control. And the fish does exactly what God had told him. So you see, God's control as he's preparing the circumstances for Jonah throughout this entire little book. Here in verse 17, he prepares a fish. In chapter 4, verse 6, he sovereignly prepares a plant to protect him from the sun and to deliver him from his misery. In chapter 4, verse 7, he prepares a worm to damage that plant. In chapter 4, verse 8, the Lord prepares a vehement east wind. And the sun beats down on Jonah's head. Now, we are not told where any of these come from, but they miraculously appear because God sovereignly made them appear. So the Lord surprisingly appoints a fish to come and swallow him up. You know, you might have thought, now it's over. This is the end for Jonah. God's executing his final judgment here. But remember, not only is God righteous and just, and so from one very important perspective, where the sea served as Jonah's death sentence, the fish serves as a grave, but God is also merciful. And in God's compassion and grace, He appoints, he prepares, he designates that large fish to come by and swallow him up. It doesn't say to eat him. It doesn't say to chew him up and finish him off. But to save him, to rescue him. We don't know where the fish came from in the Mediterranean Sea. But we do know that that fish was at the right place at the right time. You know, with the story of Zacchaeus in the New Testament, Jesus came to the exact tree where the man 
he purposed to save was. And he called them out by name. And Jonah was rescued under the sea by God at precisely the right place and precisely the right time. When one of you, people called by God, are heading down, 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 wallowing in the sea of your distress, brought about by sin, God, in his grace, will indeed send rescue. There is true and certain help on the way. He will not let one of his own children, you or me or anyone else that belongs to him, perish. He alone will come and save us. Now, I want you to focus a little bit here on the length of time that Joni is in the belly of this great fish. It says that Jonah was there for three days and three nights. This is indeed no short time whatsoever. If you were underwater with no oxygen in a watery grave for three days and three nights, you would surely have died. The author uses this literary method here so that we could feel the double force of the length of time. Just as in Genesis 7-4, where God threatens to send rain for 40 days and 40 nights. The phrase three days and three nights is also found elsewhere. In ancient times, there was a popular idea that the journey from the land of the living to Sheol, or Hades, took three full days. And if you read on in Jonah's Psalm of Thanksgiving, which I did read in chapter 2, it says, Out of the belly of Sheol I cried. So when you read this, you get the sheer force of the surety of death. And it should weigh heavily upon your shoulders. Well, what was the original audience feeling? And what are you thinking now? It's over. It's done for Jonah. But what you need to get here, and what I don't want you to miss, is what God does here and what the fish represents. God rescues Jonah back from death. No, Jonah didn't pass away. Literally, because God sent the fish to his rescue. And he remains alive while he's in the belly of that fish. It's amazing. It's hard to understand or even believe. But it's true. God's word says it's true. What happens is God is working a miracle here. And you know what? Salvation is a miracle. One task that we all have interpreting any portion of Scripture, especially but not limited to the Old Testament, 
is that we try to place it into its place in redemptive history and to see how the passage at hand points to Jesus Christ. And our Lord himself understood the Old Testament, including the book of Jonah. And he understood it typologically. And we see in Jonah 1.17 that Jesus himself in the Gospels refers back to Jonah. And he likens his death and resurrection to Jonah's experience right here. Christ himself speaks of the sign of Jonah. Therefore, it's important to look forward in the Gospels for the correct interpretation of this verse. The most clear passage in regard in this regard is Matthew chapter 12, verses 38 through 42. And please turn there if, if, if you're able. Matthew chapter 12, verse 38 through 42. It says, Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she comes from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. From just reading these few verses in the New Testament, we can see that Jonah is again arguably, arguably one of the most compelling examples in the Old Testament serving as a type of Jesus. Because we see a very close relationship between Jonah's descent into the deep and being, as one commentator says, entombed in the belly of the fish, and Jesus Christ's atoning death as he will be entombed in the heart of the earth. In the Apostles' Creed, we confess that he descended into hell. Jesus Christ not only took the punishment due our sin to the cross with him, where he bled and died, the ultimate atoning sacrifice, he was brought down from the cross and was buried down in a tomb. Throughout this whole process, the crucifixion, death, and burial, Jesus endured torment and anguish, extreme suffering for us. For you, so that you would not have to go through it, but rather escape 
the torment of hell. We saw in chapter 1 the symbolism of death, the power of death to swallow and destroy in Jonah's language about the deep sea. And now, in part, we get a glimpse of one of the functions of this fish, symbolizing the power to engulf those who will not repent. But that is not all. We will also see, as I just mentioned, the power to save and deliver portrayed by the fish as well. As Jesus Christ will also be delivered through the resurrection after he suffers hell for three days. Believer in Jesus, he went through all of this. He accomplished all of this to rescue and save you. Another important similarity is that just as Jonah was to preach repentance to Nineveh, which he eventually does in chapter 3, Jesus Christ, the prophet who is greater than Jonah, also comes preaching repentance. Remember the gospel of Mark, chapter 1. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Now, of course, Jonah was reluctant. And he tried to run away from the awesome, awesome task that God had charged him with. But Jesus, being the one greater than Jonah, made it his delight to do God's will. So he came out full bore preaching as the Father would have him preach. God knew and foreordained that Jonah would go to Nineveh and cry out against it, though he would go on a long detour through the depths of the sea and the depths of the belly of a fish to get there. And so God would miraculously deliver him from the fish. In chapter 2, verse 10, so the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. You see, God planned before the foundation of the world that Jesus would be sent on a seeking and saving mission. Therefore, he would be validated by his being raised from the dead on the third day, according to the scriptures. And you, you who are united to Jesus Christ in your justification will also be raised with him on the last day. Here, in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus is really speaking to the heart, isn't he? He says, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign. Now think about who Jesus' audience was. Yes, he had his own followers, but who was also gathered around him and following him? It was the Pharisees and the scribes. And he says that they should repent. Indeed, the entire generation had strayed from God and is evil and adulterous just like the Ninevites 
because the prophet that is greater than Jonah is now speaking. And he is also speaking to you here and now. Look around you. No matter what media you use, and you see the degradation of society and morals. And we are all in the midst of this present evil generation. And continuing on in Matthew 12, 42, even though Jesus moves beyond the scope of Jonah here, he compares the generation with Solomon. If the Gentiles, represented by the queen of the south, would also hear and respond to Solomon's wisdom, how much more should all who hear the words of Jesus respond? He is the king, and he is much greater than King Solomon. I got to break it to you. Each and every one of us is like Jonah because of our sin nature. And the path of sin can only and does only lead to death. Every human being is headed down, 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 down in the deeps of the, down in the depths of the deep blue sea. There we go. The wages of sin is death. And everybody, not one, accepted. But by God's grace and his mercy and his goodness, Jesus endured that death for those who would trust in Jesus alone for salvation. He took the greatest punishment for your sins and he hung on a cross and he died that vile, gruesome death. When we read in chapter 1, verse 15, in chapter 1, verse 17, we think that this is it for Jonah. We think that, you know, it's over. Just like when we read of Jesus' trial and his passion. And then we read of his death and his burial in a tomb. And we think, man, it's over. But you know what? Through death, God intended to bring life. When we read in Jonah 1.17, we actually get a glimpse of the gospel, don't we? Yes, Jonah is disciplined. And his end would indeed be death, but God, but God, God prepared a way out. You know, if you are joining us today and you hear this today and you are still unwilling to repent and believe, then your end will be tragic. You will live the rest of your life in a state of condemnation and you will remain a dead man or woman walking. But there's time. Now is the time. Embrace the gospel. Throw yourself upon Jesus Christ for mercy and forgiveness and he will come and save you. Well, Paul in writing to the Galatians, in his opening address to the Galatians, says this, and this I want to leave with you tonight. He says to the church, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that because of Jesus, we do not, we need not endure the pangs of death and hell but we can enjoy life everlasting because Jesus was raised for our justification and because of his resurrection, we too will be resurrected unto life. Oh, what a blessed assurance. What an everlasting hope we have in Christ. And we pray that you would seal that Seal the gospel in our hearts, for we pray in Jesus' name, amen.